cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose, a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and dissatisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise up in the darkness, and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Good morning, everybody. How's everyone doing? So it's just totally coincidental that Eric made that announcement. I'm doing this today, the message. It has nothing to do with it. Albert asked me a while back, so uh, it's been on the schedule. Um, and I was joking with Albert and people on the staff that maybe I would come up and undo his last two messages about how women submit to husbands, but we decided that wouldn't be a good idea. So, <laughs> But we, will, we are going to stay a little bit in the theme of submitting to God and what God wants for us and what Jesus wants for us. And that's what we're going to be doing here in Isaiah 58. And uh, I thought we'd just go to the Old Testament. And, you know, a lot of what our mission here, and Albert outlined it at the annual meeting earlier in the year, there is a verse that we have chosen, Micah 6, 8, that just calls us to be doers of justice, lovers of mercy, and people who walk humbly with our God in Jesus' name. And so that essentially is who we are, who we strive to be. Isaiah 58 really touches a lot on this. And so let's pray before we get going here. Father God, we just thank you for this great opportunity to come and worship you through song and through word and through fellowship, Lord. And let us feel the presence of your spirit today. Let our hearts be open to hearing your word, Lord. And let it be transformative for us, Lord, like it always is for those of us who follow you, Lord, that we continue just to transform our lives and to be a redeemed people who follow you and just want to do good for you and do justice for you. Ask this in your name. Amen. So I don't get to do this too often, so I get a little nervous. 
And sometimes I stick to the script a bit just because I feel safe with that, you know. But we've been taking these leadership-style tests, a bunch of us at the church, and apparently mine is a, a relational personality, and I'm supposed to be able to do this without looking at the script. You know, and Albert is a manuscript preacher, and he's great at it, but I'm somewhere in between. So today I'm sticking to the script, so there you go. That's what I got. This is an awesome passage. It's really beautiful, and, you know, God's Word is just so powerful, and what Isaiah wrote here, filled with the Holy Spirit, I mean, some of what's in here is just so awesome. And we gathered here today because we love God, and we want to learn more about God. And I want to remind us that as a church, as a people of God, as a people who follow Jesus, we are saved, we're secure in our salvation. But it isn't just being saved. There has to be fruit to that. There has to be good works. There has to be deeds that dignify the greatness of our Lord. And so we have not been merely saved to avoid evil, but to also do good. So the people of Jesus should not be known primarily for what we don't do. We really should be known for what we do do. You know what I mean? So in Ephesians 2.10, Paul said, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. And in Titus 2.14, he says, Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Amen? And you remember the words of Jesus, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's in Matthew 5.16. So we are saved for the sake of God exalting good works. And that's the aim of our justification of our faith, is to produce fruit from our faith. So God, if he's going to give us growth here in this part of Oakland at Regeneration, there's so many different things going on here. There's good things. So many of you have started just to move into the neighborhood and want to be part of this community and just be living close to the church that you attend and that you love. And things are looking up for the neighborhood in a lot of ways. There's new construction. There's a nice senior center going in. There's some sort of gentrification. There's less crime on the streets. But at the same time, it's a neighborhood that has oppression and it has crime. You know, just out there on International Avenue, there's teenage prostitutes. There's drug dealers around. There's homeless everywhere, you know. And so we still live in an area that is suffering from oppression that is calling for some sort of social justice or compassionate justice on our part to encounter and to change. So the text, Isaiah 58, 1 through 12, it's all about a social justice or a compassionate justice and a practical mercy. Before we apply it to our church today and our situation, let's make two things abundantly clear, though. One is that Isaiah, he's writing this just before 700 B.C. Think how awesome that is. This passage is 2,700 years old, and it just rings true of God's love and care and knowledge of who we should be as a people. And we're still worshiping by reading this scripture. Isaiah knows that the Redeemer has not yet come when he's writing this, right? So he has, in verse 53, prophesied that there will be a Redeemer coming and that he's going to bear the sins of our injustice. So he's also writing... One, to the people at that time, the Jews and the Israelites of that time. But he's also writing to us further down the road, 2,700 years later. And that's why we're studying this today and why it has such importance to us. And so he's going to come. He's going to bear the sins of our injustice. And the other thing is that when he comes, he will bring the very justice God demands. We see this in Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So the Redeemer is the bearer of our sin. He cleanses us. But he's also the path to showing us the way we need to go. He brought the very justice he demands. He lived perfectly not only to come our righteousness and our spotless, sin-bearing lamb, but also to show us how to live and live a life of redemption in our Lord. So when he arrives in his hometown and speaks at the synagogue, according to Luke 4, 18, 19, he takes up the scroll of Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight of, to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, all the justice and righteousness and mercy that Isaiah demanded of God's people back then is what Jesus is now demanding of us today. Christ is now bringing into the world in his own person a definitive time and power for justice and mercy. So when we read Isaiah's prophetic indictment of God's people oh so long ago and his call for justice, we hear it not just as Jews would have heard it then, but as Christians hearing it now on this side of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. He came to bring this message with his power, and he came to buy it with his blood. And therefore, when we hear Isaiah call us to do justice and to love mercy, keep this in mind. Jesus has come and shown this justice with his life so we could see it and bought this justice by his death so that we can do it. So the main point here in Isaiah 58 is this, is piety or religiosity. This is what's going to be in the scripture here. That does not produce a passion for God-exalting social justice and practical mercy is really worthless. Or to put it positively, God promises that we will break forth like the dawn if our piety produces a passion for social justice and practical mercy. And it's really useless if this doesn't happen. If we're not doing this, what's it all about, right? This is what God is calling us to do. This is what Jesus came here for us to do. So the first five verses of Isaiah's indictment of piety without fruit, devotions without deeds, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and to delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. So, you know, they love worshiping. They love going to the temple. They love singing hymns. They love praying. They love reading the scriptures. But they're doing this with no joy. They're doing it because they're pious. They're religious. They're doing it because it's expected of them, but they're doing it without any fruit coming out of it. So they're taking joy in their religious practices. But they're not enjoying God and his ways. They're enjoying a self-satisfying religion, a self-justifying religion, while forsaking God's judgments. So this is something I would like us to take heed of, you know, is the specter of piety without public fruit. God is not pleased with his piety and this religiosity. So the Jews are asking in verse 3, why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? 
And God answers that their fasting and their self-afflictions are a religious cover for finding pleasure in unjust gain. Behold, in the day of your fast, seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Right? So how relevant is Sunday to Monday, in this case, Saturday to Sunday, you know, Sabbath to the next day? Do we just come here to hear words, to sing songs, to read scripture, to pray, and then just leave it all here on Sunday and then go out there Monday through Saturday and completely forget about it? Because this is what God is accusing the Jews here of doing. He's saying, you're only in it for this day. And their fasting is to be loud and to be noticed. Look, we're fasting for you, God. Right? It's like the Pharisees in Jesus' time when they fasted on Monday and Thursday, but to make sure everybody knew they were fasting, they put ashes on their face, right? So look at me, I'm fasting. Aren't I religious? Aren't I devoted? Aren't I pious? And so this is essentially what God is taking to heart here. So then he goes on to say, you make yourselves look low and pious and prayerful, but God says to the Israelites, I see your business practices, essentially, right? I see your attitudes on Monday. I see your merciless, harsh, oppressing ways of dealing with people at your work. Could that be us also? Because I'm going to tell you, this is one of the things Isaiah is writing about, is the people in the book aren't treating others well. They're going through this fasting, through this religiosity, but there's no fruit being born. So they're just going out there to the workplace and oppressing others. And they're allowing oppression to happen. And they're allowing homelessness to happen. And they're allowing hunger to happen. And they're allowing disrespecting of others to happen. And that could be said about the church in America. I feel pretty blessed that we're a church that has a real heart for other people outside of here. So it's a real blessing for us. But you know, I just want us to be aware of this in our lives that when we go through those doors, we're called to something greater than what we were when we walked through these doors into the church, right? We're being transformed some way. We're working toward holiness some way every time we come in here, and we want to apply it to our lives in some real tangible way when we leave. So what kind of piety of Sunday can produce passion for justice on a Monday? You know, so there's this sermon I heard once called Good Friday Turning into the Joy of Easter, right? Called Sunday's Coming. And so this refrain occurs over and over and over again. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And it deals with the fact of Good Friday, what Jesus did on that day to save everybody on Sunday when he rose from the dead. And so what are we doing on Sunday that's going to lead to some real, tangible raising up of people on Monday? So, you know, it's Sunday, but Monday's a coming, and that's going to be tomorrow. And we're here with our voices lifted and our heads bowed and our prayers rising. And what's God think of it? He thinks it's great if something comes out of it tomorrow. Will the piety of Sunday produce a passion for justice on Monday? And that's the question in Isaiah 58. God is saying, how do you treat your fellow workers? How do you treat the homeless people on the way to work? A lot of times we're tired, we're cranky, you know. Maybe we don't give them something, but we definitely don't treat them with respect a lot of times. We wag that little finger, say, get out of my way, or we don't make the eye contact with them. That just dignifies them as another human being created by God, deserving our respect, and sometimes that's all they're looking for, and then we can't even do that. So verses 6 through 7 and 9 and 10-ish, Isaiah tells us, because there's some combination stuff, so I'm going to pull some stuff out of there. Isaiah tells us what the social justice and practical mercy look like that pleases God. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, 
and bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him, and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. And then in the middle of verse 9, we have, If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted. This is what God is calling us to do right here. So there's five kinds of human need for passionate concern that seem pretty practical, and I'm going to go over that a little bit, right? So in addition to the all-important faith and forgiveness and personal holiness aspect of being a follower of Jesus, there's five kinds of human need that Isaiah and Jesus are passionately concerned about. One, the need for freedom from bondage and oppression. So four times in verse 6, once in verse 9, he talks about this. Loose the bonds of wickedness, undo the straps of the yoke, let the oppressed go free, break every yoke, take away the yoke from your midst. Isaiah is focusing in on this, right? It's got to be important to repeat it that many times. A lot of times we don't think there's oppression in our country. I mean, we think about it outside in the greater world, but as Helen was giving the announcements and we're doing this neighborhood gift fair, and awesome if you are creative, and God makes us creative, and so if you can sell something, sell it, because 10% of the proceeds are going to New Day for children. But right here in our own community are girls who are sex trafficked, you know, starting at the age of 11, who have no hope, and once they're rescued out of there, this is a ministry that is an aftercare program that loves them and nurtures them and brings them into self-respect and a self-esteem based on how God created us and not how the world views us. And so even if you don't make something, come and spend some money because 10% of what we generate that day will go to that. And it was really exciting with the neighbors when I explained that this is how Pastor Albert and I wanted to host this event was that we would like 10% of the proceeds to go to one of our ministries. And so, you know, they were a little hesitant about that, right? Because they're like, oh, what does that mean? Or is somebody going to go out on a street corner and we're going to buy him a microphone and he's going to preach that we're all going to hell? You know, that sort of thing. But when I explained this ministry, I showed it to them on the website, they were thrilled and it was near and dear to their hearts. And so as a church in this community, we're looked upon as leaders, really, to be showing the light. And you would be surprised how much we are looked to with respect Even though they might not believe what we believe, they respect us. And so this summer, we hosted a candidate forum for District 2 council elections. And it went really, really well. And, you know, only like four or five of us showed up. And so Allie Hu was awesome. She was like, they were taking notes and trying to figure out what the candidates were about. But, (laughs) I mean, she has a real heart for, you know, voting and what people are about. But, uh, (laughs) sorry, Allie, I'll call you out. But... But you know what I mean? And we reconnected to the neighborhood because we had kind of lost that connection over the last couple of years. So when we had different interns here and Dave Kim on staff, Dave was great with connecting to the community around us, and we sort of lost that. And so now we're in the process of figuring out what works to use our facility and be a body of followers of Jesus with the community. Not every event will work, but hopefully several times a year it will, and it's an opportunity you know, to share the gospel with people in different ways that might not ever hear it, might be hostile to it. That's a way we can directly fight oppression in our community. Another way is we support a ministry called the Red Window Project, which I don't know if you people know what that is, but the Shields family are missionaries in the Philippines, in Cebu, and some of the interns a few years ago went on a mission trip there, 
And so Red Window Project is a bit like New Day for Children. It's an aftercare program for people who come out of sex trafficking and things like that to prepare them for a better life, to connect them with the community, to educate the community around them, why it's important for them to be part of this process so these people just don't fall back into the same trap they've been in. And so their esteem and dignity can be built up to how Jesus views us. I'm just going to announce this now. It'll be an awesome opportunity. Next summer, in the first week of July, we're going to go do another missions trip there. And so it's going to be an all-church trip. And it, we'll be announcing that more coming in November. But if you have any questions about that or would like to know what it's about or you're interested in going, let me know, you know, because we'd love to start getting that ball rolling. And we want to announce it early enough so people have plenty of time to participate if they feel called to go on that. So that's another great project that we help support and... Your money that you give, when you put them in those tithe box, or you send it in the mail, or you do it online, part of that is what's going to support these kind of ministries. And I'm going to actually briefly touch on what Eric announced about this PACE project. So they were in town a couple weeks ago, and they're an international organization of young missionaries. And they get placed in communities in a church, and then they work in the schools in any way they can to come alongside students to mentor them, to uh, tutor them. And then, whenever possible, in developing those relationships to share the gospel with them. And so, two gals were here a couple of weeks ago, and we went into the school Christina Chen teaches in over at La Escuelita, and then we went over to Met West High School. You know, a lot of times we think the schools are just hostile to hearing what a church wants to do to help out, or these organizations want to help out. And so, they have a way of presenting themselves that it's not just like, hey, we're going to shove the gospel down all your kids' throats. But the principles at the two schools couldn't have been more welcoming and gracious and basically saying, where have you been? We're here for you. We want you in our schools. You know, and it was just amazing. And so often we think the schools have abandoned us, but in reality the churches has abandoned our schools a lot of times. You know, and so that was a powerful moment there. The guy over at Met West, Greg Cluster, they do intern-based schooling, you know, and so they're smaller classes, and so kids go out and they learn a trade or a skill or a craft, and he's had his eye on this cafe for years, you know, and he didn't even want us to go in there with them. He wants to send the kids over to here, to the church, to be tutored and mentored, and maybe learn how to be a barista, you know, and start a program like that, so then they can go and have a job skill and make some money, you know, and maybe they'll be as passionate as Zach Cotham, or somebody like that, who just loves coffee, it's his whole life, and it's just, it's kind of exciting, hi Zach, I see you hiding back there, behind the tall guy, but, <laughs> I'm calling out the whole row right there, it looks like, <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to share some of the things that are going on, and what it means to be a community of people who want to do justice, and who have mercy, and want to do it in practical ways, the neighbors loved this cafe, too, and so what they suggested when I told them about people coming in, you know, to train, it's like, why don't you open the cafes those two afternoons of the week, and we'll put the word out, and we'll have people come in from the neighborhood to use the cafe. Right there is that whole holistic kind of circle of how the gospel works, and you just don't know how it can work, and people are so creative in how they can see things, and it takes somebody who's a non-believer to say, hey, this is the vision I have for your church. I'm going to send my kids over to your church. What are you going to do about that? I mean, it's kind of mind-blowing, really, you know? So, two, the need for food. In verse 7, it says, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? So, 
I'm pretty sure we're supposed to feed the hungry, and we do have a great ministry here on Sunday mornings that do feed the hungry, and on Friday nights also. You should check that out, Cross Street. Show up early one Sunday morning and sit with the homeless people who come in and share a meal with them and hear what their story's about and learn how to connect to them. And I'm going to just skip from two to five, and then I'll go back to three and four. The need for respect. These people need respect. We all need respect. And so when we go there and we sit and share a meal and serve them a meal and talk to them and really show interest in their lives, we're not belittling them anymore. We're actually showing them respect. We're showing them the self-esteem that God wants them to have, that we expect to have for ourselves, but we should expect to have for everybody. I don't think Brian's here today, so I can't really point him out, but something I'd like to do, though. any rate, I encourage you to check out that Cross Streets ministry. Or let's go back to number three, the need for housing. That's a very serious issue in our community, not just for the homeless even, but increasingly for lower-income people or lower-middle class or even middle-class people are getting priced out of the market, you know, because everything is so crazy. I'm not saying that you have to take homeless people into your home. I'm saying that we should be intentional as a church in praying about that and helping find solutions for those people. And then, four, the need for clothing, Right? That's just an issue of self-respect also and self-esteem. If you want to donate clothing to the homeless ministry, we'll take it and we'll give it out. You know, like jackets, sleeping bags, socks are always good. Clean socks, brand new clean socks. (laughs) But socks are an item of uh, high importance. Isaiah is preaching justice to the people of God, and Jesus displays justice to the people of God and suffers to cleanse and empower us so our piety will produce a passion for social justice and practical mercy. If it doesn't, our piety is empty. And if it does, if our faith and love and devotion to Jesus do produce a passion for freeing the oppressed and feeding the hungry and housing the homeless and clothing the naked and putting away that belittling talk, demeaning gestures, showing a lack of respect to others, then regeneration, we're going to break forth like the dawn as it says here in Isaiah. Now, the rest of this passage is a promise of what good things happen in our lives when we give ourselves away to others in these causes of justice and mercy. And we know from the fulfillment of this prophecy in Jesus that this does not mean we earn God's blessings. We're saved, but overflowing from our faith and being saved is living like Jesus. God himself, through Jesus, purchased them for us at the cross, these sins, and empowers us to fulfill the conditions for them. We do not earn the breaking of the dawn. Jesus bought it for us. So the promises of if you give yourself a way to bring justice and mercy in the world, instead of just living for your own comforts, in verse 8, then shall your light break forth like dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. And then in the middle of verse 10, it goes over, Then shall your light rise in the darkness, and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually, and satisfy your desire in scorched places, and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to dwell in, 
What an awesome passage. So beautiful. In this, there's these descriptions and dreams of who we want to be as a church. And it's a beautiful description of what we would like to experience as a people here in Oakland. And there's a path for this. And this is what our Lord does for people who pour themselves out for the poor in our neighborhood and around the world. There's light and darkness. There's healing for wounds. Righteousness in front and the glory of God behind. A God who hears when we cry to him. There's guidance from the Lord. Satisfaction for our souls in scorched places. Our very bones made strong for battle. Being so watered by the Lord that we become a spring of water for others to drink and find refreshment. I love that spring. We just keep springing forth refreshment to those around us. Being used by God to rebuild what has been destroyed and make a place of life and hope. It's amazing to me that this and more is promised to a people whose piety and devotion produces a passion for God-exalting justice and practical mercy. So instead of just being pious here on a Sunday and doing what the world does on a Monday through Saturday, with no different passions for how to use your time, how to use your house, how to use your car, how to use your money. You know, God's given us these amazing gifts. Some of us are entrepreneurial. This creativity for how to use what we have in the world to change it. So, Regen, let's dream a dream for you and your family and your friends for how you can free the oppressed, feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked, and put to an end belittling gestures and words. We should be about lifting people up and not putting them down. This quote from a rabbi from the 18th century, Rabbi Shlomo of Carlin, and it's a great quote. If you want to raise a person from mud, do not think it is enough to keep standing on top and reaching a helping hand down to the person. You must go down all the way yourself, down into the mud, then take a hold of the person with strong hands and pull the person and yourself out into the light. That's what this passage is about. Are we willing to get down into the mud and free the oppressed and feed the hungry and to home the homeless? Because that's what respect is, and that's what God is calling us to do. This is God's will, and this is how we're going to break forth through the work of Jesus in our clouded, murky lives. I'm going to close with something from Ralph Winter. And he talks about Americans and kind of like why we're not necessarily a healthy people in many ways. So the reason Americans suffer the way they do is not from persecution, but from heart attacks, hardening of the arteries and stroke and all kinds of stuff because we do not have a nation that has a lifestyle that pours out for the world around us. Our lifestyles are all of us, and it kills us, right? I mean, we're like a country with all these first-world problems that we can't even see past on how to help people who have real problems, you know? So this kills us emotionally, it kills us psychologically, and it kills us physically, Because we were designed to pour ourselves out for others. We are created in God's image. The God who redeemed us is the God who loves the oppressed. His sacrifice is for all. 
If we have been redeemed, then we must share that. And, you know, if you guys have a dream on your heart about how you would want to do something in our community, start a ministry, anything like that, you know, share it with us. We'd love to hear about it because I'm going to tell you, like, as a staff, we're not going to be able to do it. You know, we rely on your creativity and your relationship with God and your unique ways how you were created that you can see to solve problems or come alongside people and to get down in the mud with them. And so if you have ideas, we'd love to hear it, and we would love to support you with that. And so that's not a challenge, but, you know, that's an invitation. We're here to pray for you about that, our board and Pastor Albert and the staff. We'd love to do that, to encourage and support and pray for you. And so why don't we close in prayer before we move into our time of communion. Father, we just thank you for creating us in your image, all of us uniquely, all of us by design, to do unique and creative and wonderful things in this world, Lord, that serve justice and mercy in your kingdom, Father. And so we just thank you for these words of Isaiah 2,700 years ago. And we ask that it's difficult during the week to keep what we have on Sunday here when we sing and we pray and we hear your word. But, Lord, let us open up our lives and our spirit to wanting to be out in the world living for you and showing practically in ways what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, Lord, we just ask for that fortitude in our lives and that strength. And just thank you for all the awesome ways that you want us to serve you, Lord, that have not been revealed to us yet. Let it be revealed to us. Let us be open to having it revealed to us. We ask this in your name. Amen.